Welcome to The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of The Waggle brought to you by the CFL and CFL.ca. Myself, Donovan Bennett, and it's great to be talking football because we're close to actually playing football, or at least witnessing football. We're just a couple sleeps away. It feels somewhat surreal, so I need to stop pinching myself and have someone else talk football with me because we've been waiting so long. So who better to help break down what is going to be week one? That is correct. Week one of the 2021 CFL season, Marshall Ferguson, who as well will be, you know, getting some of the rust off, I guess, dusting off the microphone, but in a totally new role, in an exciting role. So, March number one, thanks for joining. Number two, congratulations, as you will be doing some play-by-play for TSN Broadcast. First of all, for those who, who don't know of your play-by-play background and doing it, obviously, locally in Hamilton and, and on radio, talk to us about how this came to be and, and what you're looking uh, forward to yeah thanks donovan i appreciate it it's uh it was kind of one of those things that i never really put two and two together that i would love doing until i stopped playing like i don't know if you were like that too when the games kind of end and you want to stay close to sport or football and you start to realize kind of ways that you can be close to it and still feel that same energy and i never realized that play-by-play would be as enjoyable and as much of a a labor of love for me uh, until I finished playing and all of a sudden I got on the microphone and I I called McMaster football games the first year after I was done playing for McMaster which was weird but fun at the same time because I'm commentating on of course all of my teammates and guys that I had kind of competed with and trained with for the last X amount of years but when I first started doing that it was great because you were invested and it wasn't even that you were invested in McMaster it was just you were invested in the game and the preparation and being able to understand the storylines and wanting to do the best job possible to make the game exciting for people and bring them closer to the product because you know if you're calling the game people obviously aren't there except for the rare super fan who listens to your broadcast while they're sitting in the stands and actually watching the game or you know i've talked to people like dr david levy from the hamilton tiger cats who would actually listen to our radio broadcast on the sidelines because he needed to know when a player was injured and things like that but it's it's a really interesting and personal experience that you have when you are calling a game and bringing something that people find so, I guess, personally valuable to them. Because if you're a CFL fan, most of you listening to this podcast, you're invested in it, right? You want to be able to to understand everything and to enjoy it as much as possible. And let's be real about that. If you're doing play-by-play and you're doing it poorly, you can get in the way of that. And, and I think that that's a real danger for... Uh, especially a new audience that hasn't necessarily been exposed to me calling games before. So it's it's exciting. It's a great challenge. And I think I've learned a lot through my time calling games for Mac for one year. The next year, I got bumped up and started calling Hamilton Tiger Cats games. So I called them for 16, 17, 18, and 19. Uh, almost got to 100 games. I, I would have had on Labor Day of 2020... It would have been my 100th broadcast on local Hamilton radio, which I had kind of circled at the end of 2019. I did the math on it. I went, wow, Labor Day, that's really special to to have your 100th game be that. I was only going to be about 700 games behind Bob Irving, I believe, at that point. So I was coming for you, Bob. I was going to try to track him down for the local radio record, I think. But no, it's it's something that I really, really enjoy. I love being able to paint the picture for people. And uh, you know, for a radio guy, I think the greatest challenge might be shutting up 
getting <laughs> getting out of the way and letting the action speak for itself as television is wont to do. Yeah, I'm excited. And I will say from someone who's done both, this might be counterintuitive or antithetical for many people, but TV is easier. Radio is much more difficult because you literally have to paint the picture. TV, you have so much at your disposal to help paint that picture. So, uh, great ascension for you to go from one booth to the other and one looking forward to it. And the nice thing for for all fans when we're trying to get up to speed, and that's what we're going to do uh, on this pod, is we're going to maybe give you a little bit of a cheat sheet, get you up to speed on that first slate of games and let you know what you need to know, what you should be watching for in week one is the first matchup is the same as the last one <laughs> is a great cup rematch from 2019 Ticats versus blue mobbers thursday at 8 p.m eastern time and you know i i look at that matchup and you think okay well these are known quantities because they're very good organizations and you know they obviously had success but there are some relatively unknowns obviously we're going to have two capable quarterbacks in hamilton throughout this year but you know, the understanding is Jeremiah Masoli is going to get the start ahead of Dane Evans. Then in Winnipeg, you know, Zach Caleros will certainly be the starter, but there isn't as much depth or experience in that QB room alongside him. And you've got some real question marks in terms of the skill possessions, positions and who's going to be healthy. Andrew Harris, Darvin Adams, both, you know, limping into the start of the season. Break down for me what you are looking forward to in that uh, week one opener of the CFL season. Yeah, the first thing that jumps out to me is obviously Andrew Harris because, uh, I mean, you mentioned all this consistency. And, and let's be real about this, too. If you look at free agency, since the last time these teams played in November of 2019, 2020 and 2021, the three teams that lead the CFL in terms of re-signing their available free agents or their pending free agents, keeping their core intact, essentially, it is Winnipeg number one, Saskatchewan number two, Hamilton number three. That's percentage of free agents that are re-signed. So these teams have intentionally tried to keep their core. And it's been really interesting watching the cuts, whether it be the first cut or a couple that were sprinkled between the first and the second. And when they had to make their final cut down, these teams, Donovan, there was not a lot of names that jumped out. Like there wasn't any shock. And the reason for that is you're reading through and going, okay, American defensive back that I've never really heard of before. American defensive tackle that I've never heard of. And that's because these rosters were so solid and they've re-signed so many of their players that the continuity is there. But when you start talking about Andrew Harris being the engine of everything that drives the offense and has for, obviously, since he got to Winnipeg, if he's not going to go, is Brady Olivier going to be still the central piece of that offense throughout that game? Because we've seen this in the past where you have somebody that's a, a dominant running back and they're the center of the offense. I think of, you know, William Powell, maybe in Ottawa back in 20, I guess it would have been 17 uh, in the playoff game in the snow where Keenan LaFrance comes in, right? And he gets an opportunity and they still kind of went through him the way that they would have otherwise if you had other players in that spot. So I think that Brady Oliveira has enough trust and if he's healthy and explosive and looks great, then they're still going to run through him. But that's the first thing that jumps out to me because Hamilton's entire defensive key going into this would have been Andrew Harris on screen passes, passes to the flats, inside zone, outside zone, toss. Like he can, he's so multiple. You have to key on him almost like the old Rams against the Patriots matchup where Belichick just decided, you know what? We'll let anybody else beat us, but Marshall Falk's not going to beat us in the Super Bowl. I think that probably would have been Mark Washington and Orlando Steinauer's philosophy. But if Andrew Harris isn't there and you've got a different offensive coordinator and Buck Pierce coming in for Paul LaPolice, 
and you got Zach Laros with a full training camp and maybe expanding the playbook or changing things from what they were in 2019 when he was the Grey Cup champion with the Bombers. It's like there's so many variables that are in place, which you'll probably hear me say a lot in this podcast because I think it's a consistent theme that runs throughout all four of the opening weekend matchups. There's a lot that's changed. As much as there's a lot of things that have stayed the same, they're still the Bombers. They're still the Ticats. They still wear the same color uniforms. They got the quarterbacks. They got the, the pieces, the Willie Jeffersons, the Jackson Jeffcoats, the Ja'Garrett Davis, the Ted Lawrence, the... Like those names are all in place, but there's still a lot of uncertainty, I would say, going in as to, okay, how much has actually changed that we don't know about yet as media and as fans? And we're not going to get that answer, maybe not even until week two, three, four, but we're definitely not going to get it in the first couple of drives because these teams are going to evolve as they go throughout the game. So how they decide to defend Winnipeg, what Winnipeg's attack looks like, I think is a huge one to me. I think Kenny Lawler's going to have a massive year, even without Darvin Adams in there. Even without Brian Mitchell, who of course signed and then ended up deciding to retire, I think that Kenny Lawler's going to have a fantastic season. And then for Hamilton, like DeVere Posey's down, Braylon Addison on the first injury report of the year was listed as being questionable, I believe, with a knee injury. Now you're talking about Brandon Banks with some other pieces that people might not know their names coming in. So, I mean, it's it's fun. It's I think the biggest thing for me is as analysts. And as media, we love to be right a lot of the time, but I actually love that going into week one, I hope we're all wrong. I hope we all have no idea what's going to happen in week one because that's going to be the entertainment factor. Yeah, and it'll be fascinating to see what that play sheet for Winnipeg looks like as they're one of the few teams in football, specifically in Canadian football, that are literally still run first. And, you know, if their all-star running back isn't in the fold, you know, will they be comfortable dialing it up and throwing early and often especially when you consider you know when they're right they're just asking their quarterback we're going to need five big plays through the passing game we're going to call five and hopefully hit on three yep. call four hopefully we hit on and on three so uh if you're doing a steady diet of living you know deep in the pocket i'm not sure their offense is built for that so it'll be interesting to watch lions versus riders is the second game of the week friday at 9 p.m eastern i'm looking forward to seeing the number one overall pick from the 2020 draft jordan williams who people are raving about out at camp and it's a interesting one because it's going to be rick campbell's first game in bc bc really trying to turn things around obviously they're the worst team in the West, the last time we saw them, and the Riders over the balance of the regular season, arguably probably were the best team, at least consistently in the West. And we'll see if they can, you know, take that final step and get to a great cup. The, the fascinating thing f- for me in this game, it's not even so much on the field, is it's going to be a sold out crowd. Yeah. And that's something that's <laughs> odd to see in sports, period. But especially given the difference in political appetites uh, around the country i think maybe is the best way to say that that there's some markets we may not see a full stadium for the entire season so how that looks on television one but how that factors into um home field advantage wins and losses silent counts all those things i think are going to be super fascinating what are you looking forward to in this matchup yeah the x's and o's of it that you bring up dj i think is intriguing the the emotion of it i think is the thing that is going to be most visible i think across the entire weekend as you say i don't think there will be any game even winnipeg unveiling the banner and celebrating the 2019 Grey Cup championship. I don't think there's going to be that palpable energy that you're going to get from Saskatchewan in this game. And the reason I say that is we all know 
that no team feeds off the energy of their crowd more than Saskatchewan. That's just how it is. And for them to be able to get a full house, sell that thing out, and be able to play BC. And this is, I think, where the intersection of the emotion and the crowd will actually make a real tangible impact. Is that we all know the biggest issue for BC in 2019 was protecting Michael Riley. Like, that is, I mean, they could not at any point in the first third, even the first half of the season, give him enough protection, especially on second down, to get the ball out of his hands and to allow him to be Michael Riley and throw vertically because that's what he does so well. And he's got great receivers to be able to do that, but he needs the time. Well, I thought when they ended 2019, of course, pre-COVID, I'm going, okay, they're going to swap out this piece and that piece. And I mean, really, the big addition has been a couple guys internally getting healthy, especially at the center spot. Peter Godbear, I think, is going to be a real big stud that's the center out of Rice. It was a really high draft pick for them a couple years ago. And then adding Riker Matthews from the Ticats. Like, they, outside of that... There hasn't been a lot of transactions to overhaul. The biggest addition of all, I think, is likely going to be Kelly Bates as the offensive line coach. He's respected across the entire league, and I think that the scheme will be really sound with Rick Campbell in there, working with Jordan McSimmick, who did a great job with Mike Riley as well, working in Edmonton in the past. So I think that, for me, the crowd affecting snap count and protection in BC with an offensive line that's trying to prove that this is not going to be like 2019. That is the greatest question of this game. And there is no place in the country that BC would like to play less to prove that they can go through a silent count or any other start of the play sequence than Saskatchewan with a full crowd. Well, guess what they get? Saskatchewan with a full crowd. So it's going to be an incredible test. I think Riley's going to be tested at various points, but I want to see whether or not, again, the evolution in game, something to keep an eye on for me is when you start to take away maybe the over-the-top stuff or there's not enough protection there uh, from the running backs to be able to you know, chip and, and get out and, and give Riley somewhere to go with the football, what does he do? Like Because he's had so long to think about this, and obviously it's been an emotional lead-up to the season with his mother passing away that the idea of him going into that hostile environment and trying not to have flashbacks to 2019, there's going to be some demons that BC has to overcome. And if they conquer them, they could have a really good performance and come out of there with a win and shock everybody and send home a sold-out mosaic stunned. If they don't conquer the protection scheme stuff, and if they don't handle the crowd noise well that's going to be coming for them, it could be a rough night, especially if Cody Fajardo looks anything like he did in 2019. Yeah, it's a great point on the Riley aspect because it's been... A long time it's been basically two years new coaching staff new offensive line but some of those wounds when you beat up as a quarterback take a while to heal so if there's some early pressure does that eye level go down does he start to stare at the rush mm-hmm. that'll be things that'll be fascinating to watch argos at stampeder 7 p.m eastern on Saturday, which is basically new stamps versus old stamps. Like <laughs> everyone from Calgary who just wanted to be on a little bit more money and maybe have a little bit more freedom decides to come <laughs> to Southern Ontario. And so what's what's interesting to me about that one is a couple things. One, this Argos team, can everybody eat? Like they, not just stamps. If you were yeah. a former Eskimo, former rider, you, you were a free agent who has done something in the league, we've got a spot for you apparently. Although I'm still, unable to figure out how they figured out how they have spots in under the cap because it wasn't a mass exodus of big name players being cut as i thought it might be and on the flip side with calgary every year i'm like okay 
this is going to be the year where they've just let one too many free agents go and they've thought they could win internally and it's going to catch up to them. And for the most part, it hasn't. But can you do that for two off seasons in a row without a season where you're grooming some of those young players that you have in the fold to step in and take some of those big roles? So, so that will be, for me, the question is, does Calgary finally fall off a cliff in terms of that program? But we get to see both programs immediately. What do you like in this matchup? Yeah, I find it interesting too that we have, you know, been looking at the quarterback situation in Toronto since the very beginning of the Nichols move to Ottawa and Arbuckle to Toronto. We're like, wow, okay, that's, we'll see how that pairing ends up looking. And then, of course, Arbuckle ends up getting dinged throughout training camp and is dealing with a hamstring, and McLeod Bethel Thompson's getting a lot of the reps. And all of a sudden, here comes McLeod, and if he starts slinging it around and making plays with this vastly improved receiving core, then there's a chance that Toronto could go into Calgary. And again, I think week one is about sending messages, but it's also about seeing the potential of your team moving forward. It's the it's the standard that you're going to set at the start of the season that you have to then progress from. Because we all know week four in the CFL is going to look a hell of a lot more normal and better quality football than week one. Like that's There's no way around that after this amount of time that's been off. I don't care how long training camps are or anything else that's gone into this, how hard guys have worked. The reality is if you're not going to be playing games, you're not going to be in a rhythm. And so they're going to have to try and get up to speed quickly. But with Toronto, they're such a volatile group because like you say, DJ, there's so much talent. Like there's so many names that can make plays on that roster. And for Calgary, I look at at what they're trying to do right now offensively. And I think they're going to have to lean really heavily on the Canadian receiver positions. Herji Mayala, I think, has to step up and be a star. And, and I don't say that lightly. I think he has to be one of, if not the best Canadian receiver in the CFL, right up there with your Lamar Durant and obviously Brad Sinopoli retiring, kind of had that crown for a while as well in 2017-18. But he's got to be really, really productive for them. And I don't say that because if he doesn't make plays, nobody's going to. Yes, of course, they've got Kamar Jordan back. That's very big for them. And they hope that they've got Huff and Ambles and some of these guys that John Huffnagel has an eye for talent on that they've had in the system for the last couple of years. They might step up and blow us away. But you also, just like Michael Riley in BC, if you don't protect Bo Levi, who cares? Like, And that's the thing is Sean McEwen you bring in, that's fantastic at center. But outside of that, Ucomber Williams adds a little bit of that leadership in the huddle. But Dave Dickinson spoke at the end of training camp about not being able to get the play uh, started correctly. You know, the snap being off or the motions being off or little things that you typically don't hear Dickinson kind of harping on, I would say, at the end of, of a training camp or the uh, going into a season. He was on those things. And he actually said when they signed Calvin McCarty that he wanted more leadership in the offensive huddle in Calgary. And the reason that he wanted that is that he just he felt like they weren't there as a group as of right now. So is there enough leadership? Are there enough vocal leaders in that huddle, I think, in Calgary that if Toronto comes in and is flying around and making plays all over the place and it's Eric Rogers into the end zone here and DeVaris Daniels into the end zone there and you're looking around going, yo, these guys, they used to all play for us. What the hell's going on out here? <laughs> if that starts happening and I think you need to have I, I think it is going to happen, honestly. I think they're going to put up points, Toronto will. And I think that Calgary's going to have a moment second quarter where they're going to have to really look around and go, okay, are we going to actually like have this team that basically used to be us with a bunch of other pieces factoring in? Are they going to beat us up here? Like at our own place in the home opener when we got two more home games in the next couple of weeks? Or are we going to buckle down and fight back in this game? Because I know that Bo Levi can fight back in. Like I got no doubts about that. My question is, Who's going to go with them? 
because he's going to try to lead them through this fire. And trust, it's a week one fire. It really is. Like Just like BC's offensive line going into Saskatchewan against the crowd, Bo Levi going up against Toronto when they're coming out. And, and Donovan, you know this too. You know, you'd have years in the OUA where Guelph would have an incredible recruiting class and you'd be going to Guelph for their homecoming, right? And it's like, okay, we're getting their best test. We know we're getting their best test. Well, Toronto going into Calgary with all the motivation and knowledge they have of how that Stampeders organization works, that's going to be Toronto's best punch. And Calgary has to be aware of that, and they're going to have to battle throughout the entire game. I don't see how this one is a blowout on either side. I think that it goes down the stretch, stays close into the fourth quarter, and then it really comes down to whoever executes and makes a couple more explosive plays. Yeah, I'm, I'm circling that one on my calendar just because of the fami- familiarity that you mentioned and what that might breed. There's not much familiarity in this last matchup. Red Blacks at the Elks, 10 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, and I have to always remind myself to say Elks. New uniforms, new coaches, for Edmonton, a new name. Uh, Ottawa, maybe a new problem and not the same problem. I, I remember when we had this conversation almost two years ago now, I said, is Ottawa doing a thought experiment on can you win in the CFL without a strong quarterback room? <laughs> in a spot where everyone is going to, we need two quarterbacks that are really strong. They're like, ah, maybe we can roll the dice with none. Now I'm looking at their depth chart and wondering to myself, is Ottawa running a thought experiment on can you win in the CFL without a good wide receivers room? Because their skills leave a lot to be desired. And Edmonton, on the other hand, you know their wide receivers might be the best, uh, especially with Darrell Walker coming back to Edmonton. What are you looking forward to in the last matchup of the weekend? I have so much respect for Jamie Elizondo's combination with Trevor Harris and Greg Ellingson. Like, that that's the first thing that I think everybody in the CFL knows, that when they are together, when they were together in Ottawa, they were the most productive combination of quarterback, receiver, offensive coordinator. Well, Elizondo is not messing around in Ottawa, and he's going to lean into that. Oh, by the way, he has Darrell Walker. Oh, and James Wilder Jr. Oh, and you start looking at Armonte Edwards as being maybe one of the better threes in the CFL when it comes to receiving groups. So, I think Edmonton has the highest ceiling right now across the CFL when it comes to talent in combination with coaching staff that's going to maximize that talent. Because for all the things that I don't know going into this CFL season, whether it's the the, the volatile variables of what Toronto is going to look like, how are they going to come together as a group, or what's Calgary's offensive line going to look like when we get to kickoff, or how is Hamilton going to balance out maybe not having DeVere Posey or Braylon Addison, Andrew Harrison, Winnipeg. The thing I know is if Trevor Harris and Greg Ellingson, Darrell Walker are healthy, they've got a chance in any game. Like I look at it almost like a, a baseball statistic, right? Wins above replacement war. If you were to say that the war of those three guys, Elizondo, Ellingson, and Harris, it's probably worth five wins a year to me because those three with surrounding whatever is around them, enough protection, enough running back production, they can make plays that will be able to get you into the end zone. So that's the first thing that jumps out is I I love what Edmonton looks like. I love the vibe that they have. I mean, the jerseys look amazing. The logo is great. The name's awesome. All those things are great. But to have the energy of opening up at home and reintroducing yourself at Commonwealth to your fans, I think is going to be really special. And then the question mark, as you say, for Ottawa is, okay, I know what Matt Nichols is as a quarterback. And I'm not trying to label him and say the game manager thing and all the rest. But what I'm saying is he is smart, safe, 
consistent and he'll take his shots once in a while, right? And there's a lot of quarterbacks that you can label in that, but he really does fit that mold. When he is on, he can play with anybody. But I look at this and think to myself, okay, who's going to get the catches? Like who's going to get the targets? Who's going to create separation? And just like I talked about with Calgary, maybe they've got some internal pieces that Marcel Desjardins and Paul Lapolis really like and will be able to produce. But it's unfortunate because I don't think that they anticipated Jalen Saunders getting into a car accident that was going to keep him out of the action into going week one. So that takes him off the field. I thought that he was going to be a really dangerous field side slot back that would be running a lot of these skinny posts and corner routes and creating some separation that would help Matt Nichols through any trouble. And then you look at Bradsonopoli retiring. Okay, there goes the underneath zones. There goes the crossers, the little hooks, the checkdowns. He would have been perfect to play with Matt Nichols. Like, I, I don't care what you think of Winnipeg's offense in 2019 and how it went through the running back. Bradsonopoli would have been at or over 100 catches this year if he would have played in that system because Lapolice would have found him. Like, and Nichols knew how to get through his progression so well that he would have been really productive. And now you don't have either of those. And yeah, I get it. Like, you've got some other names and pieces in there, but who's going to get the touches? Who's going to surprise us as we go throughout the start of the season in the first couple of weeks? And and the tough thing for Ottawa too, Donovan, is that they've got week one where they are at Edmonton. They've got a week two bye and then week three at Saskatchewan. They don't come home until week four, which I know is is normal for most of the East teams going into the West to start the year. But if if you are Ottawa and you start out the year 0-2 with a bye week in between to think about it and be going through a bunch of practices, they just went through a three-week training camp. And now you're going to have one game, and if it doesn't go well against a really talented Edmonton squad, you're going to be up against it with another 7, 10 days of practice before you go into Saskatchewan to deal with that crowd noise again. Maybe they're 1-0 after beating up on BC in Week 1. And you, <laughs> I mean, the idea of coming home after a month of that and playing against BC, who at that point they might be finding their feet a little bit in terms of protection schemes. I mean, they are, they're up against it in the early part of the season. So it's really, really important for Ottawa and Matt Nichols to establish who they want to be and to make sure that they're moving the football and not going two and out, two and out, two and out, two and out. Because if they do that, Elizondo, Trevor Harris, I mean, <laughs> if you play a game where you punt more than 10, 15 times, Elizondo and Harris are going to throw the ball 60 times with a completion percentage of about 90% 400 yards because that's how they are. Like that's the pairing of those guys together. So for me, that one to round out the weekend is going to be about how dominant can Trevor Harris, Elizondo and Ellingson be together and how much can Ottawa find an identity early on in the game. Montreal, obviously not playing this week, but they're a team that was ascending last we saw them. And so I think, you know, if anyone was really hurt maybe culturally by the long layoff, it was them because they were building something so special. What are your thoughts about them coming into the year? I think that they've got a real opportunity to make noise. Everybody, as we know, for the last two months, basically since we found out the CFL season was coming back and kicking off on August 5th, has been talking about whether or not Vernon Adams Jr. can take a step forward or is he going to regress? And I've talked with Derek Taylor about this, the voice of the Riders, and of course, former TSN stats man there with the details, and he tracks all these throws, and he said that Vernon Adams Jr. had essentially the most throws that were put into dangerous positions in 2019 that ended up paying off for him when they probably should not have. Like, it was a positive production for the offense in Montreal when he put it in what is, quote-unquote, a bad spot typically as a quarterback. But 
if he can limit the mistakes, I think the real secret sauce that's going to change Montreal this year is Standback. Like, William Standback, at any point, if you need a steadying force and you'd like to be able to just take the weight off Vernon Adams Jr., whether it be on first down and you just want him to get to second and three instead of second and seven, Standback will get you that extra four yards. He'll run through an arm tackle and get you closer and open up the playbook on second and three, more difficult to defend. If it is an incompletion on first down and you want to pop a little draw handoff or a toss something like that to stand back and get him on the edge, well, you have more comfort doing that. And now Vernon doesn't have to wear the brunt of every single time that it's second and 10. Okay, I've got to make a play. Because if I don't make a play, nobody's making a play here and we're not going to move the football. They've got a really good receiving group as well, whether it be Geno Lewis, BJ Cunningham. I thought Naaman Roosevelt was going to factor into that in a large way. He gets released, which obviously means that they have some younger talent that they really like coming through the system. Again, theme of these teams right now is young receivers that we don't know a lot about that have been signed either in 2020 or in 2021 that have earned their way onto the dress roster throughout training camp and how much can they produce and how much can they contribute to the team quickly. So Montreal's got a chance. They just they have to lean on standback being the steadying force and they have to make plays defensively. If they get turnovers, they'll thrive off that. And lastly, before we let you go, there's a couple of wrinkles to this season I'm really looking forward to. The fact that last I heard there's 45 former XFL players who made CFL rosters, that infusion of talent and just some some new names will be fun to certainly watch and track. But we have another way to track names, and that's because they're now on injury reports, which is yeah. something new to Canadian football in that sense. And what that implications are in the short term for fantasy and the long term for betting and just basically in adding to the conversation of the sport at a high intelligent level this is something that i know you've been quietly calling for for a while and now it's here what about that do you think is most important i just i believe that it as you say it legitimizes the fantasy and the betting aspect but for me i gotta be honest not a huge fantasy guy, and I've never paced a, placed a single penny on a game of any type before. So I understand it legitimizes those things, but for me, it's more about being able to give fans the understanding of what these guys go through and also the bumps and bruises throughout the season. And I, I get it. There's been years where Tom Brady has been listed as questionable with a shoulder injury for 16 straight weeks, and he plays every single week, and he plays out of his mind. These things happen. But to have more transparency to understand what players go through and to understand the roster construction it just opens a new a new angle i think for fans to get closer to the game and to get a sense for okay this is what's really happening with my team instead of the shrouded secrecy of not knowing whether or not you're buying a game ticket and your favorite player is going to be playing like for example if Andrew Harris was running around at Bombers practice and we weren't really sure whether or not he was going to play and Mike O'Shea was being coy about his answer and everybody buys their ticket and they can't wait to see the Great Cup rematch and Andrew Harris isn't out there, he's in sweats by the start of the game because right before he gets scratched. If that were to happen, there'd be a lot of disappointed people. But with added transparency, everyone is saying, well, you know what, he's listed on the injury report, it doesn't look like he's going to go, he's got a calf issue... And now we actually get to talk about the storylines. We don't have to guess. We don't have to speculate. We don't have to be pondering here and making up, well, is it a knee? Is it an ankle? Is it a hip? Is it No, they just they tell us. And that transparency, I think, is going to, to aid the conversation and aid the analysis going throughout the season. And I think that it's a really big deal for people. I don't think we'll know the full impacts of it until we're probably halfway through the season. 
But once you get into a rhythm and you understand how this process works and how transparent it is, it's a vastly improved process that will bring people closer to the game in whatever way that they want. So yeah, I, I applaud it. I think the next thing that we should really be looking at too, just in terms of campaigning for things, is the player participation metrics to kind of gauge, you know, who's been in for what snaps. It's it's all tracked, obviously, because of uh, the ratio requirements and the roster requirements. I think that should be public as well. I, I think that people would love to know that, wow, I can't believe that, uh, you know, Declan Cross of the Toronto Argonauts, he played on 100% of their offensive snaps throughout the game. He was in for all 75 snaps that they took from scrimmage, whereas you could say, okay, this guy got injured and uh, he was in for 25 snaps and his uh, production went down after he was pulled out of the game because of a coach's choice or an injury. Or I think that that will aid to the conversation as well where more and more people that understand who takes all the snaps, who's the really productive one, who's working on every single play, who's taking all those special team snaps, I don't think we appreciate that enough, the workload that certain players go through, and I'd love to have that added in as well moving forward. But baby steps, and this is this is much more than a baby step. This is an important one. Well, I know some people who would love that data to be more public. Agents of players, specifically <laughs> players who are in sub-packages, who come negotiation time, maybe general managers try to downplay what their impact is. Uh, you know That would be used as ammunition. But definitely you're right in terms of adding to the engagement, the conversations that we have about the game, giving us context, that would certainly go a great deal. But as you say, baby steps, you are adding to the conversation of the game. We're looking forward to listening to you do that live during games and quite frankly, just looking forward to having live games, period. Yes. Uh, and always uh, love talking to you about the game on this platform. Uh, but before we let you go, uh, just plug the other places that you'll be talking about the game uh, on your own platform. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, I will say this as well about the play-by-play gig. I meant to mention here early off the top that I've had some people asking me, like, you know, how excited are you and what's the best part about doing play-by-play? Honestly, it's been picking the brain of the guys who know what the hell they're doing. Like the Mark Lees of the world that I've been having conversations with and our mutual buddy Tim McAuliffe talking to him about his time calling games and, and what he loves and initial challenges he had. Chris Cuthbert, I had lunch with him and that was amazing to kind of sit down and go through some of his old play-by-play sheets, how he sets it up and how he wants to hit the ins and the outs of the play. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's an amazing art and the people that have come before me and done that work at such a high level, it's been so much fun to kind of understand, okay, I've been watching you guys for 20 years, but how do you do it, <laughs> right, and actually wrap your head around it? But, yeah, at, at uh, TSN underscore Marsh is where people can find me uh, on Twitter. And I actually joined Instagram, Donovan. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's this crazy new platform uh, where you can post pictures, videos, things of that nature. Uh, so I decided to hop on there. And uh, so now it's at TSN underscore Marsh on both Twitter and Instagram. And at CF Perspective, Canadian Football Perspective, uh, we have podcasts going that are five days a week as well that you can uh, hop on there, listen to a plethora of coverage across all things Canadian football. And uh, one of my buddies, Derek Taylor, as I mentioned earlier, does a podcast with me called The Breakdown on Wednesdays. I'm sure that he will be gushing to me about the injury reports and the transparency because that is something he's been passionate about for a long time too. So uh, those are the places that you can find me and of course writing at cfl.ca and uh, one day I'll just show up on your television calling a game and then you can all be terrified that I'm on your TV.
<laughs> no, not at all. And speaking of at uh, CFL, uh, make sure you're following us on all of those platforms, Instagram as well, which I've heard of once or twice. But also make sure to do the old thing, go to the actual website, cfl.ca, where Marsh has an article about landing spots for surprise cuts. So check that out. We've got a lot of good content as we lead up to real live action in the CFL season. This has been fun, Marsh. Thank you so much. This is Donovan Bennett. Thank you for listening and enjoy week one, Canada. The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League.